0: Sports Finder Community, we're back with our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sport. And today, it is no different. I have this very special guest with me, Mr. Michael Silek. Michael, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? I'm well, appreciate the invite. <laughs> My absolute pleasure, right? Michael, um, before we get into what you're currently doing, what, what, what your day to day looks like and, you know, life, as an, an executive at a sporting organization. Uh, Where did it all begin for you, Michael? Who was Michael as the young man at school?
1: Uh, good question. I was not prepared for this one. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm born and raised uh, about an hour outside of Seattle. And uh, me and my twin brother were the youngest of six kids, so super competitive, love sports growing up. I uh, quickly knew that I was not going to go really far in it, right? Not that coordinator or that that athletic, but just love the business side. And so early on, I remember uh, when I was 13 is when I decided, like, I want to work in sports. And then from there is okay, how do I make it happen? So uh, it's been a long journey and uh, super fortunate to get started uh, at a younger age than most and uh, keep this career going. There's For me, there's nothing better than connecting with people at games. And uh, it's really – it's really cool when you have a childhood dream, and you actually get to live it, right? So, it's pretty fortunate and blessed to do that.
0: Absolutely. Um, coming through the college ranks, you know, did you ever think you'd be working in sport? Uh, if so, what was getting into,
1: into sport and building a, a career in sport? So, I was fortunate to start uh college pretty early I was able to start at sixteen years old and so by the by the time when I actually transferred um, to a four year program uh when I was eighteen I was able to already actually be working with the seahawks uh, and so I was able to start at seahawks uh, when when I, right pretty much right after I turned eighteen and then as I'm in college, um, you know, it occurs to me that, you know, I could be doing both, right? It's not, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Uh, in fact, why go to school all these years just to then get out and then go have a similar job. So I actually decided while I was in school to transfer online and continue to work full time and uh, have both at the same time. So then uh, because I was able to start early it allowed me to be done with my four degree um just after i uh turned nineteen and uh then from there I decided to go to the dolphins um after the Seahawks, so it wasn't really so much how college helped me; it was just I saw that you know what this whole idea that you have to go stop what you're doing, go to college, and then from that go do something else to be successful it just it didn't make sense to me uh why not why can't you do both? love it um and did you finish school early because
0: you were you were a freak at school or what's the story no there? Uh, no no, no, no it, uh, <laughs> uh,
1: by all means it's not to come across as uh <laughs> super genius or anything. no i am uh so essentially here in our state of washington there's other states as well uh, your last two years of high school you can go to college if you take tests and you pass to go in and uh i love that man yeah so super fortunate uh, government provided, and so it's extremely affordable. Recommend it to as many people as possible. Uh, because, think of it in terms of your your most of your general classes that you would take out of school, you, you knock them out ahead of time. And I was fortunate to know what school I wanted to go to, um, and so I started taking more classes that were towards my program. So then, by the time I transferred uh, to a four year un, four year university, I was actually already a, a senior based on credit limit. Um, and so and then when I said I go online, it changed my degree a, a little bit to where I could have even finished a semester earlier. So everything just fell into place. Um, and by the time I got used to doing online schooling, it made sense to continue to, to do masters through that as well. And so this, uh, so anyone, any, any kids out there that's doing all their school through zoom, it's, uh, it's easy, right? People can do it. It's not hard. <laughs> Good life. Um, How'd you get your first gig at the Seahawks? So, so so for me, um when I was thirteen decided I want to work in sports. Uh I that's when I actually submitted my first resume in the sports world. I uh, emailed the manners uh sent them my resume. Thirteen. Course, yeah, so of course never got any feedback, right? Can't wow. can't blame them. It hurt me either. Uh and then, you know, I, I realized, okay, so how what's gonna what's gonna make this happen? Uh and it was just you know, act as if I was already working for him. So in other words, I, I knew I wanted to do some form of engagement with fans and sales. And so when I was 16, I started calling the Seahawks and it was almost a daily phone call for two years until they finally gave me an interview. And essentially the line I used was, you know, if I'm, if I'm working this hard just to talk to you, imagine how hard I would work if you actually paid me. And uh, so they gave me an interview and got my job. It was, I mean, as bottom of the ladder as you could get hourly employee, going out to various community events, representing them, uh, doing a lot of sales tables, things of that nature. But it was a blast and it was just a way in and give me ability to uh, to prove myself. Um, and honestly, if it wasn't for that, I who knows if I would've gotten the job in Miami, uh, just because that was a super competitive program that I was fortunate to get into. But it opened up the doors for me because then that one semester where I wasn't online at four-year school, I was able to work in recruiting for the football team as a division one football program in Virginia. Um, and so all you know just things worked out but it was uh, to force my way in so. so you're 16 years old
0: and you called the NFL Seattle Seahawks yeah every single day
1: for two years yeah I wish it didn't take that long right <laughs> and the the only reason I was able to get in is because you had to have a college degree and I was like well I do because that after the first two years the last year is my high school you graduate with an associates of arts college degree so it, in effect you, you know if, if I could carve a roll out, that was the only way it could be done. So,
0: so in order to work at the Seahawks, you have to have a
1: college degree. Oh uh, yeah. Unless you're interning into a form of college credit, right?
0: Well, and Just the own, for most and, places, and the owner, if I'm not wrong, was Bill Gates, former partner, right? Huh?
1: Yeah. So he, he passed away sadly, yeah. but yeah. So, and he's you know, arguably one of the best owners. He's saved the team here in Seattle from leaving to California. And, uh, it was literally one of the best places for me to start. I got, got lucky. It was during the Super Bowl run. Great leadership team. Obviously, the fans, of 12s are some of the best. And to, you know, do it in an area where you're from, it's you know, it's fortunate. And just meeting people in the community, that was, for me, I learned that that is how, okay, I really enjoy being a part of fans and really, really feel that sports has a unique ability to interact with people off the of world uh, and connect people. Wow. You, know, for, you and I went to a game, Right. For four quarters, I don't. I don't care what your views are on religion, politics, right? For four quarters, we're the same, right? And so that's and, and that's the unique thing, and part of it. And then you got sixty thousand plus friends all 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 together at once, and you you can't duplicate that on TV in your living room or
0: uh, absolutely
1: challenge people to duplicate that in, in other uh, media experiences outside of concerts and things like that.
0: Okay, so that point of you calling every day for two years just just to get a gig. That's that's really important because a lot of these young kids don't don't understand what's involved to work in these elite sporting organisations, mm-hmm. and how much competition. Like you've literally got the world wanting to work for these organisations. They they put a job app a, a job ad out there. Applications will come from all parts of the globe, right? So it's,
1: to 100%. have that
0: that grit and hustle at sixteen, I wish you went into the world of entrepreneurship because. <laughs> You probably would have made you probably would have been pretty successful let's just
1: put let's just put it that way, but well let's see got long career head i think uh for me, it was to your point about the competition yeah, you know, I figured okay if there's more people educated or they had the connections, how am I going to stand out from a stack of resumes uh you know i even mean, even once I applied with a paper uh, a pink piece of paper on my resume so it would stand out from the white stack right just try to do anything and Uh, for me, it's more, if I'm want to be just another resume on teamwork online and I'm applying for a job, okay, great. But if I show I can separate myself and at least get to know the person who's hiring for the job or the department and understand more about them, uh, then that to me was a competitive advantage. And, uh, you know, just find a way in, I guess you could say. There's a lot of people just apply online and, and they hope and, you know, hope's not a strategy. So, if I could recommend anything to people out there looking to get get into sports, uh, just, you know, email the HR manager, email the, the department heads of people you want to work in. If you don't know their email, just guess. It can't be that hard. It's probably their last name, first initial at the team.com or vice versa. And if it doesn't work, who cares? It gets undeliverable and it goes back to you. So just force your way in there. And, and it's not hard to find who the department heads are. Every team has got their staff directory on the website and it shows every every person that works there. And so, uh, if I'm hiring someone, that's what I look for: people that are going to purposely try to stand out.
0: And also, there's a tool called Hunter. The I O. Never heard um, of it. Yeah, you can go to any website. You it's a it's a web browser extension. You put it in, and most of the times it can give you the email format. The emails that are registered to that website. So use that tool. Um, yep. Michael, you're 16 years old. You're 13 years old. You're applying at, a uh, professional sports team. This podcast has got a lot more exciting to me. You're 16 years old calling the sports for two years straight, just, just, just to get a gig with them. Did you have a mentor in life at that time, guiding? You? That's, that's, Unbelievably focused for, for such a young man. Such a young, 16 years old. We're looking to play uh, Dragon Ball Z, Beyblades. Back then, I'm talking, I think we're, we're similar age. That's unbelievable focus. Was there somebody in your life who was impacting you to be that that laser focused, pushing you in that direction? What's the story?
1: Yeah, so... A couple things, um, that impacted me. So when I was, uh, 16, got to go on a missions trip to Ukraine. And, um, I remember we worked with a lot of local orphanages and, um, one of the kids there, well, I, I say kid, um, that's what we thought at the time. And we found out it was his birthday and he was 30. He's turning 30. And, um, I guess you could say me and a couple other guys on the team were a little immature about it sort of like laughed like, you know, he's 30 and hasn't made his way out, but instantly felt that guilt when the head of the orphanage said, well, this is all he's known. He's been here his whole life. And you, for me, you you can't, can't blame him. Right. And so that, that was the biggest eye opening. Like, Hey, look, my life's what I make it out to be. And yeah, I want, I want it to be bright. So figure it out. What is, what is my plan? What I actually want to do and how am I going to get there and not just see what cards get dealt to me. And at the same time, later that uh, summer, uh, I went to a, a church camp and met a gentleman there. Who became uh, my mentor, he, and he worked uh, for a company here in Seattle called Vulcan, which was Paul Allen's uh, company, and with in Paul Allen, uh, who obviously just own the C- own the Seahawks. His sister does now after his passing. So it, w- it was my first connection, you could say, with someone. While they weren't directly working for the Seahawks, it was for the company that owned them, and it was I guess you could say a way in. But um, in talking with him, it, it wasn't so much hey you know, they are not just going to hire a 16-year-old kid. You got to prove yourself. And he helped me just really framing how to sell yourself, how to position yourself and market yourself appropriately and recognizing that, hey, at 16, 17, you're not the best thing since butter, right? You just really want to come in there and learn. So those two big things happened in my life. And obviously just, you know, that was God just dictating where I was going to go. Oh, amazing. Um, let's go to the next
0: step. Talk to me. What does your day look at? Look like as a, uh, as an executive in a, a, in a professional sports team. I mean, so many people would think there's a misconception that, you know, once the off season comes up, you guys don't do any work, right? You guys just chill and have your sodas <laughs> or a beer or pizza or whatever, right? When in fact, that's the busiest time of the year for most pro yeah. teams. Um, this is this time for you special circumstances once in a history event, basically once in a lifetime event, probably not the best event to be part of COVID. What does your day look like?
1: Uh, I, I guess I could answer that in, do you want me to answer that, uh, in a non COVID environment or a COVID or both during yeah, COVID? Both. Give us, give us insight into both. you're know? So in a non COVID environment, uh, my job, uh, is to engage with influential people in the Seattle marketplace and specifically uh, companies, and essentially show them what we're building here for NHL Seattle. We'll sh- share with them the vision and it's finding out if it makes sense for them to partner with us. Uh, traditionally, it's on the suite level, and so therefore, if they have a suite for all of our games, concerts, etc., it's providing them just with that arena for their customers, their employees, just whatever their reason. And whatever their, I guess, whatever their pain is that they're going through and how we can solve that for them. And so from a day-to-day standpoint, uh, a lot of people might say, Hey, pretty easy. You get a call and say, Hey, I'm Michael Salik with you know, NSL Seattle, right? Uh, you'd be amazed at how many people just hang up on you, or frankly, how many people don't care. Uh, that's one of the big learning lessons I learned very quickly that just because you have called from a big name doesn't mean anything because what I've learned is because they know your brand already they already have in their mind what they think you can solve for them. And what I mean by that is you're just calling for some random tech company. You might have a really killer product, but not only have to sell yourself, you have to explain what your company does. I have that instant brand recognition, but that hurts me because then if they knew that we could help them, they would be calling me. So, so, so that's the, the, so that's the challenge and that's the dilemma. And so, I think a lot of people overcomplicate a salesperson's role. And uh, for me, it's still a numbers game. It's just a matter of how many many people you reach out to, right place, right time. Uh, But my primary job is prospecting, sourcing businesses, influential people, and booking meetings and learning more about them and seeing if there's a fit with us. Uh, From a COVID standpoint, nothing really changes outside of doing it virtually. Uh, More and more people are getting used to that. So it's pretty straightforward now. Uh, For a while, we actually held off just because we don't want to, be selling in this environment, especially in Seattle, which was one of the major ones that was hit. So the, but other than that, nothing really changes, but within that, that's my primary focus and where I've been challenged throughout my career by good leaders and mentors is finding the areas of the business that you want to learn in and engage in and actually try to solve problems. Like, and I think a lot of people stick to their day to day, which is fine, but what are the overarching problems that the business needs to solve? and and figure out that and there's a rule of theo epstein he's the general manager of the cubs uh, he's got a 80 20 rule which is essentially your boss has 20 percent of his job that they don't like find out what that is and do it for him and it allows you to learn just about other parts of the business and, and and really just showing your value more than just what you're paid to do love it love it um how many sports
0: teams or professional sports team are there in seattle so
1: let's see, we got uh, on a professional level, we got the Seattle Manners Baseball, Seattle Sounders Soccer, Seattle Seahawks, the Seattle Storm WNBA, and then now us here with NHL Seattle. Uh, and then we got a bunch of minor league teams, minor league hockey, uh, minor league baseball for the Manners as well. How and does Marco – Soccer team with two. Okay.
0: Uh, how does Marco convince sponsors um, or partners? Why us? to work with him and not the others, especially
1: the Seahawks, I mean. So that's a good question, and it's uh, it's one that keeps me up at night because, <laughs> well, no, personally, I, I think it's weird. In other industries, at least perception, they're super competitive between each other. Yeah, Sports is one of the few industries that if, if the Mariners were to win the World Series or the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, we as NHL Seattle, like, we're excited for them. Right. But then that's a major win, right. For our competition. Right. So it's really interesting in that regard. Uh, and so for me, what I go back to is, you know, we are unique here in Seattle where we naturally love our sports. So there's going to be a lot of crossover. Uh, but ultimately it, it depends on what your value prop is. And it's, it's a different, it's just a different animal, depending on what sport. With us here, we're selling hockey for the first time in Seattle, uh, I mean, we, we're actually, and the Seattle Metropolitans back in 1917 won the Stanley Cup. First ever North American team to win it. Wow. And nobody, nobody knows. I'm born and raised here, love sports, didn't know that, so I started working here. Uh, so there's, and then we have minor league hockey, so we have this root of fans, but there's never been this new team. And with the arena that we're here, and you know, there's many firsts in life, but there's not, you know, not many people could say, hey, I went to my a very first professional hockey game. Uh, and so that's ultimately what we're selling over the other teams that they just can't. Um, and, and
0: wow. Awesome.
1: Um, you off, offline, we're talking about
0: the arena and the changes that you, that, that have been made by the organization. Take us through the whole experience. I mean, what's, what's different about the, your, your arena that, you know, that
1: that's yeah.
0: really, that's really put it on a, on a different
1: level. Yeah. So fans, fans won't recognize key arena when, or whatever we end up naming it, but currently in what is known as Key Arena, um, they w- just won't recognize it. We're doubling the square foot of, uh, of the entire arena, only adding a thousand seats. So it's still a very small, intimate building. And essentially the only way to make this arena work is to dig down. We can't touch the roof. It's considered a heritage site here in Seattle. And so we can't go out or up. We can only dig down. And so it's uh, almost a billion dollar investment, private investment by our ownership group. And outside of the roof it is brand new brand spanking new and it's gonna we have a unique arrangement Uh, not only will we have the seattle storm the hockey but one of our investors is actually live nation who most people are familiar with them with concerts so yeah uh, we now actually have an invested reason to bring some of the biggest concerts here and you know seattle is a music town just without a home to play it in Uh, we just frankly don't and now, moving forward, we will be one of the biggest concert venues here on, on the West Coast. And uh, wow. yeah, and most people just don't know about it. Uh, and it's going to be a huge game changer here. I mean, imagine you know most major cities, especially you know from an entertainment standpoint, have that one place to be to go to a concert or a show, and we don't have that here. There's just there's nothing. Uh, Seattle. To give you an idea, Topeka, Kansas, Des Moines, Iowa. Small towns in middle of America did more concerts than Seattle did over the, over the last few years. Really? Yep. We just don't have the any arenas that have the capability of having it, and so now we're going to uh, just blow that out of the park. And it's just due to really good relationships that our ownership group have in sports, and everyone seeing the vision and coming together and doing something for and by Seattle.
0: You've got the biggest tech companies in the world, but we we don't have an arena. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, Life after the Seahawks, what attracted you to
1: the, to the, to the dolphins? So from a, from a personal standpoint, uh, my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was, she was living in Florida. Uh, We met at college that one semester I was there, go figure. But um, (laughs) on a, on another level, one of my uh, just early mentors on, his name is Bob Hammer. He runs a company called Sports Business Solutions had a really long, uh, successful career with the Phoenix Suns, was their head of ticketing for a while. He decided to do more uh, help teams on the more of the consulting and the recruiting side. And so in talking to him, and he really challenged me on where do you see yourself in your career? Where do you want to go? Where are you going to learn? And I really I, I learned early on that while everything was great at the Seahawks, you know, my timing couldn't have been better. It was during the Super Bowl run. And so I wanted that challenge of selling a brand in a new marketplace that I don't know, but also one that didn't have a major following and also a new arena. So at the time, um, Stephen Ross, the owner, they were doing a, about a $500 million investment into their, into their uh, venue there. And so I, uh, after talking to Bob, it made sense to look at Miami. And sure enough, the leadership team is some of the best in sports. Um, led by Tom Garfinkel their CEO super creative I mean to give an example of this what they're doing right now with COVID they're using their <laughs> arena for driving movie theaters yeah yeah and Same then, marketing uh, he's just a, a rock star and then fortunately uh, the VP I reported to at the time who's named Nick Foro he's actually the reason that uh, I was able to join here with the hockey team so on all sports what comes around goes around if you do a good job people know and if if you don't, people know, but, uh, really for me, Miami was personal to get closer, but also be a part of, of a, of a brand and a project that was historic, but was struggling. And, uh, it literally was the best thing for me I learned a lot. And, uh um, you know, it was, it was different. I mean, learning how to sell tickets to people that thought driving 30 minutes was too far. I'd rather go to the beach on Sunday instead of going to a football game. So it's, how do you balance that versus Seahawks was you got a hundred thousand person wait lists. It doesn't, you know, there's nothing to sell. Wow. Right?
0: Look at, look at the difference there. Look at the contract. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, yeah, insane. Uh, and speaking of like Steve Ross, he's changed the whole, you know, Hudson's yards in, in New York, what he's done there. He seems to be the man wherever he goes. He really changes things and revolutionizes things. I mean, they've done an
1: amazing job there. So interesting. There's a lot, um, not all owners are alike and he's, just really good and creative and visionary. And I think, you know, one of the last events I worked on when I was there was El Clasico, which, you know, Real Madrid and Barcelona. And uh, it was obviously a friendly match, but one of the, you know, it was historic to be played here in the U.S. And it was held in Miami and I never seen anything like it. Uh, just as soon as we said, okay, we're ready to go sales, the phones were ringing off the hook. And as soon as you hung up, with a the there was another one ready for you. i never seen anything like it. Uh, and for him to bring that event to especially a major global entertainment destination that is Miami just shows you just how much he cares for that, for that city. And he's from there, he's born and raised in Miami. So it means a lot to him as a community and they do a really good job. And if I could give any advice to anyone looking to break into sports, don't just look at, Hey, who can I work for? And what can I do for them? Look at what do they do for me? And it all starts at leadership. It all starts at the top uh, and how many, you know, what owners really invested on improving and innovating uh, cause then that's going to be traditionally the people that they hire and think like that. And they're, they're going to drive you to do better. And so from here Absolutely. on out, if I ever make, it's all based on leadership and relationships. And it's not, uh, for a title or an ego purpose personal side. It's, it's all about who you work for.
0: Love that, man. Love that. That's, that's, that's a really good, good, very good way to look at things. The deal, a deal, right? Um, it gets turned around that word a lot we've never had somebody really take us through that experience of signing a deal, putting together a deal. You know, I have to ask you this because you've been through so many different sports and you've worked at, diff- at different organizations. What does a big deal entail? Like what does it look like? I've, I've, let's say I've never signed a, a deal with a, a major partner or a corporation. Where does it start and how does it end?
1: How, how do you seal the deal? <laughs> Uh, it's a good question. It's uh definitely the size of the deal and everything determines on what property you're at, whether it's baseball, MLS, football, hockey, um, where it starts, honestly, it's, it's all on just your homework ahead of time. And it's not, I just, I feel nowadays there's a lot of sales reps that have been, I guess to back up, to give an idea of how the, usually the typical trajectory of a professional sports sales rep is you traditionally start on calling fans and you're generally, you're given leads of a single game buyer who bought a ticket for them and their family came out to a game and then you call them, learn more about them and see if season tickets make sense. And then you go from to where you're selling corporations and businesses, et cetera, from there. And so a lot of people sort of just churn and burn. And I feel to be really successful on the business level especially nowadays when there's so many other salespeople calling them is you got to do your homework and you got to be sharp and know exactly you know what they actually do and what they solve. And so I would say for me to actually really do a good job and closing a deal arts all starts with your homework and actually spending time doing it. And why you can get away with doing that and taking less time making calls is because you're really good on the calls. And so as you go through it, you're meeting face-to-face and you can, you can tell really quickly, um, if their excitement matches yours. Uh, and there's times where even us on our side of things, you got to walk away. Um, but usually within the first meeting or so you can, you get the sense, okay, let's keep going down this path. If something makes sense? And then from there, it's more about what product and the investment level. And then, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's many times where you think you have it, you've got a verbal on it and they, and then you still get a no. So it's never, you know, again, hope's not a strategy. And I never get my hopes up until that deal sign. And even if it's signed, just still when the first payment comes through, just because a lot of stuff can happen, but, um, there's nothing like closing a deal, all that adrenaline, it makes the work, work, all the work to get it done makes it even valuable. And it just wants to, you want to keep getting more and more. Sales is, is a bit like life.
0: Uh, you get so many nodes, but then you get that one, yes, that revitalizes you, rejuvenates you. Yep. Um, and, that's, and, that's, and that's what I've uh, come to see and understand.
1: Yeah, and I've, I've heard that's. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of people have this bad view of sales. And, uh, I think it's honestly one of the best occupations to go into, especially if you're not quite sure what you want to do. You ask a lot of kids these days that a lot of them don't necessarily know what they want to do. Best part about sales is I feel it's definitely one of those jobs where you learn more about yourself. Uh, you learn to deal with rejection. You learn to just, how do you walk in a room and figure out what the room is and how to, uh, you know, communicate to people effectively. And then also just, you just learn grit you just learn what it takes to be really good and facing problems. And then from a business level, you are the first person to know how your customers feel about your products. And so it really helps you understand the business in, in, in a variety of, of levels. And I think, you know, a lot of companies every day, they ask themselves, what are, what are our customers? Why do they care about us? Why do they buy from us? And sales in sales, you get to know that firsthand and really quickly. So yes, it's not for everyone, and if you think you're an introvert or you won't be good at it, you know, at least try it because you will definitely learn and grow a lot about yourself.
0: Yeah. Sales teams are every organization's ear on, on the ground. Um, that's, that's the way I look at it. And one of the misconceptions is that just because you're part of a big team, it's so easy just to close deals with your big businesses. Yeah. They just throw, throw money at you. Um, it doesn't work like that, eh?
1: No, it's, um, to give you an idea, I try every day to at least make eighty touch points, so new touch points. So eighty different phone calls. Or, eighty. Yeah, eight zero. A uh, day. Yeah, and that's a variety of whether through emails, LinkedIn, phone wow. calls, like, new businesses, right? And then so then it's following up. I mean the average t- and that usually it takes, I think the the historical data on it is anywhere from eight to ten touch points until you actually get a phone call. I mean, trust me, don't get me wrong, there are times where it's like four days in a row and maybe you get four people to actually pick up your call or respond to an email. And so it's, you know, so there are times where you're like, man, am I, there's got to be a better way. Am I spinning my wheels, right? And it's just, uh, but again, it, it's, a, it's a numbers game. And I think, you know, nowadays, if I if you're a decision maker at a company, imagine how many emails they get from various sales reps. And nowadays LinkedIn, you can connect with someone and you're instantly getting a message to sell you Yeah, So I think I think where teams could do better is uh, finding more authentic creative ways at getting those, whether it's, you know, doing actual a gift or a, a mailing something to them that's more handwritten note. Just it might be less, less uh, effective in terms of getting a lot of touch points done all at once, right? It might be less efficient. Uh, but I think there's more, more value. In other words, I would rather make 50 handwritten notes and get 10 people to respond than a couple hundred phone calls and get 10.
0: Bringing back the old merch packs, you know, those packages that you used to get from organization, key rings and bottles and so on. It's for that person. I think it's about memorable moments now. It's this, there's too much outreach. I think that to so how, how do you make that moment memorable? So they never forget you. I think that's the key
1: nowadays. Yep. And an example of this I could give, and it's going back to how the deals get closed. A lot of it's just doing your research on the front end. And so a local tech company out here, uh, trying, trying to, very big tech company. And, you know, it's, I mean, thousands of employees. So just where you start, right? Who do you, who do you contact and uh, just start with their C-level team and their head of marketing. Um, just, you know, quick LinkedIn search showed that she went to school in Canada. So, Hey, do I get lucky? And she likes hockey, right? Just, you never know. And then, uh, sure enough, a massive hockey fan. And then, okay, she's Canadian. I happen to have a coworker that's going to Canada this later this week, and he can swing by and get me some Tim Hortons donuts, which is a major donut (laughs) chain and you do your research on them and on their LinkedIn profiles. At one point that individual posted how much she loves Tim Hortons. And so here wow. I am in the handwritten note with Tim Hortons, just trying to open the do a conversation and it just took a little bit of work to figure it out. And you know, I could have sent many emails or phone calls and there's countless times where you do as much as you can, you never get anything back and you just give up. And you know it didn't take much long. So again, it's going back to research and who you want to target and finding creative ways to get it done.
0: I love that. The devil is in the detail, eh?
1: But wow. a, lot, a lot of people, those are tricks I've learned along the way. Uh, a lot of people that are really good at what they do.
0: And did you sign her up?
1: Uh, we are still talking to them. Wow. To them. Well, what's it, the general I, life cycle? We, we met, we we even got um, a customized hockey stick with the name on it um, and the business name on it and dropped it off and then COVID hit. So it's been uh, about a three month, three month delay on it. But so, okay.
0: really, what does a standard deal socket look like or a general, an average deal, deal socket look like?
1: It depends. When I was with the Sounders, let's assume post first appointment with the Sounders, it's usually within about 48 hours. Um, with here at hockey, just a, it's a different product, um, both in terms of the amount of games that we have, the amount of events we have, like we'll have over a hundred events in a year. So that's you know, multiplied by 16 tickets. That's a lot of tickets. So, uh, so the price acts higher. So just a little more involvement in that regard. Um, so I would say from a, if, let's assume if everything went well, you have, a you have an appointment, you typically get a verbal within three to four days. And then about sometimes two months until a deal gets signed uh, because you got to go, usually there's a lot of legal work and then, Lawyers red mark all the documents and they go back and forth and, uh, and then even after getting it assigned, then you got to wait till payment comes in. So it can, uh, it can be definitely be a while. And that's again, if everything goes well, but I will say there's, um, verbals and deals that happen that, uh, don't get signed for six, eight months later. Wow. It really is tough. eh? Yeah, it's, um, again, hope's not a strategy and you want to make sure you're always having a pipeline full as much as you can. And, uh, you know, it's weird if you think about it. If I, I would say this, if I closed 10 deals in a whole year, I'm very happy and boss is ecstatic, right? Just 10 and 365 days of work. Jeez, that's less than a deal a month. Yeah, but, but that's, that's this project, right? Yeah, so, you, you've got a very tough gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's, um, a lot of people are on the spot and it's not, I would say, cause the perception would be that, oh, new hockey team, a marketplace like Seattle sold out of season tickets cause of wait lists. Like it's, it's still, we face the same problems that I did every, everywhere else I've been, right? Very much so. How much but does your, also, what I focus on, I'm, my job is primarily our our suites and our other premium inventory, and not the the rest of the the main seating bowl area. If it yeah. was that where I'm doing more volume, then obviously I would be looking to do way more. Oh no, of course. This
0: is we're talking about the the as I call it in uh, in organizational stands at the enterprise level of things. Mm-hmm. Um, how much does your marketing team impact your your day to day?
1: Huge. Huge. Um, I would say right now that the the hockey team from a career standpoint want to be the best example to use. And that's not saying anything against the marketing, but I keep saying initial Seattle. We don't even have a name yet, right? People, people have seats to us and we don't have players or a team name yet. You know, what world does that happen? So from our standpoint, a lot of people don't even think we're on sale because we don't in theory exist outside of this new arena. Right. But, our marketing team do a really good job of just constantly promoting our brand uh, and then but also doing it in a way where we get leads from it. And so periodically we will get leads from our marketing team that whether it's a certain business that engaged with the post on social media like LinkedIn or through email and things of that nature. Um, other examples where when you have a team would be like the Sounders or the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Miami Dolphins did a really good job of leveraging Facebook, one of the first teams to really leverage social media for leads. And so essentially when we leveraged the fact that we had a brand new arena or stadium that is $500 million, so they would post on Facebook about who wants to have an arena tour. And so we would get leads through Facebook. And essentially at one point in time, the best leads that we got when I was there were past season ticket members. And then directly after that became the Facebook leads. And we implemented that about halfway through my tenure there. Um, and so there's a variety of ways, but ultimately that is a key component where marketing and ticketing have to work hand in hand. Uh, I think a lot of times people view their job or their roles uh, as singular. And what I mean by that is I don't work for ticketing. I work for NHL Seattle. You don't work for marketing. You work for NHL Seattle. Like let's get stuff done and solve overarching problems for the business. And uh if you have departments that are fighting each other and each want to solve their own things to hit their own different metrics, it just it just doesn't doesn't flow. And there's it's sad to say there's there's industries all across the board where that happens.
0: It does kill the deal most of the times, yes, absolutely. Um Michael, what's three pieces of advice you would give to somebody coming out of college that's trying to build a sports career like yourself?
1: So number one, I would say it's how are you, how did in college, how did you separate yourself? What else did you do outside of getting your degree, right? Nowadays it's, I'm expected for someone to have a good degree. It's, ex, it's an expectation to have good grades. Like it's, they're all expected things. So what else did you do? Uh, so whether it's volunteering in the athletic department or in your business, if you had any internships, during business school was some of your major projects and how'd you work together as a team? Just show me that Um, a lot of you just, the amount of resumes that we still get that are just very basic level and don't go into detail of what they actually solved during their time in college. So obviously there's a shift on that. The other thing too, I, I would like from advice from a college standpoint is, like do what, again, take some advice of what I did early on. Start reaching out to teams. Just because you graduate doesn't mean then at that time is when you start you have to reach out to teams. Your job in college should be to have jobs lined up where you're picking and choosing. I think of, you know, Zena Kata who you, who you interviewed on this podcast before. Uh, we started our very first day together, same day at the Dolphins, started first time, and she, she had multiple offers, and she had to choose them, which one she wanted. And, like, that's that's your that should be your objective and goal. So start reaching out to people ahead of time. Uh, and then three, uh, leverage, leverage LinkedIn, start building a brand for yourself, showcase what you're doing in college, reach out to people, build your network. Uh, don't just wait until you have a job to start doing your LinkedIn. Cause I mean, nowadays it's never, never been easier. You can literally type a team name and VP of ticket sales and you'll get the person and you can message them on LinkedIn. You don't have to call people every day for two years. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) Like it's it's just don't overcomplicate it and don't expect your professors to, to help you. Just get after it and do it yourself.
0: Love it, man. Michael, uh, oh, honestly, one of the best chats I've ever had. I've absolutely enjoyed every single second of, of, of this chat. Um, unfortunately, we have to wrap things up. Um, before we, we let you go, where can people get in touch with you?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, email is msilik at nhlseattle.com uh, or on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is one of the easiest ways. Uh, just send me a message. I'm on there, at least checking that daily just for using it for work all, every day. So.
0: Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Michael Silek, the man who contacted the Seahawks every single day for two years at the age of 16 to get a job there. And he did. And that kickstarted his, his, his career. Got to love the grit, the tenacity, the, the determination. And I think those those uh, characteristics or features in someone are the way forward. If you have them, you're more likely to be successful than ever, especially in modern day society and how privileged so many young people are. So once again, Michael, thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode.